Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we come here this morning knowing that your presence is among us, and we ask that you would turn our hearts and our ears towards you so that we could hear that still, small voice that you speak into our lives. May you speak this morning through my words or in spite of them that we all might hear the message that you need for us to hear. May the meditations of my heart and my mind and my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. So I just got back on Friday evening from spending a week in Orlando for a children's pastor's conference, uh, and I didn't make it to the happiest place on earth um, in Orlando. I spent the whole time in this one hotel for the, the jam-packed schedule of the conference, but it was really great. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I had to go. I learned a lot from the sessions and the workshops that I attended. I brought back some great resources and ideas that I'll be sharing with the people who serve in children's ministries with me. But I think the best part of the week for me was that I got to participate in some really amazing praise and worship. I don't get to do that every week because even though I generally attend the 8.30 service, I either have a role or I'm thinking about what I need to do for the upcoming Sunday school hour. And so to just sit and freely worship without anything on my mind was truly a gift. And I was in a room of people just like me, imagine 2,000 church workers, all mostly working in children and youth ministry. And the speaker was talking to us about the importance of Sabbath and the rhythms of grace, finding ways to carve out time in our lives to develop that relationship with God. And he asked this room full of church workers, when was the last time you went to worship or Bible study and it wasn't your job? And we all laughed at him <laughs> because that's our job. But it's not a complaint uh, because while we're spending our time with the kids, while you guys are here in big church, um, this is what we call big church and children's ministries because we're with the little people. So um, we have a lot of fun back there, maybe more than you have in here. And uh, I always learn something from the kids each and every week. They're, they're such an amazing blessing. But the reminder to spend that time for myself getting closer to God was really well taken. And then I was on the plane on the way home listening to the safety spiel from the flight attendant, and I got another reminder 
of the importance of putting myself first and taking time for myself. You probably know the part of the speech that I'm talking about. It says, if the oxygen masks fall and you need to use them and you're traveling with a small child or somebody who needs help, you should put your own mask on first because we are better equipped to help the person next to us if we are taken care of. And the same is true in life. God tells us to love the Lord with all of our mind and our heart and our soul and to love others as ourselves. And I think that we're better able to do that when we are in a good place mentally, emotionally, and physically. So when I hear that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, I wonder, what if you don't love yourself? And I think the implied commandment is that we do need to love ourselves. So we're going to approach this issue of health and wellness by looking at self-care, the importance of it, why we do it, how we might do it, and what it's going to do for our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. I think that self-care, loving ourselves, is hard because it sounds on the surface a little bit selfish to put ourselves first. I think we're taught as children to put other people's needs before our own, even in subtle ways. I remember I was, one of the ways I was taught to pray as a child was to use the word joy. You guys might have been taught this also, that the J is for Jesus. That's where you start in your prayer. The O is for others. You pray for yourself. And the Y is always last, yourself. So these subtle ways that we're taught to share and not be selfish and to help others and to put others' needs before our own over and over again. And as we get older and we have families, people who depend on us, especially when they're young, their needs are immediate. We can't ask them to wait all the time. And so our own self-care might be pushed further and further down on the list of priorities. But to, I really think it's a godly thing to care for ourselves. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 19 and 20 tell us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's not our own. It belongs to God, so we should care for it in a way that glorifies God. Romans 12, 8, Paul tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We need to be well in order to do that. For me, loving God Loving others and loving ourselves is all tied up together. You can't really separate them. Because when I read the Bible, I hear everything that God tells me about myself. And it's all God telling me to love myself. First Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 27 tells us that we are made in the image of God and that it's good. Psalm 139 tells us that we are wonderfully and fearfully made by the Lord. Jeremiah 29.11 tells us that God has a hope and a future for us and that it's good. Matthew 10, Jesus tells us how valued and precious and loved we are. 
John 3.16 tells us that God loved each and every one of us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. And Galatians 2.20 tells us that Christ lives in us. All of these things, verse after verse, that tell us how much God loves us, how worthy we are of that greatest gift, and how much we have to bring the world. So if I reject myself, am I not rejecting my Creator? How arrogant would it be for me to ignore all of the Scripture and say, no, I'm not worthy. I'm a failure. I have nothing good to bring. Seems insulting to God to say those things about myself when he clearly has told me otherwise. So I believe it's biblical and holy to care for ourselves, to glorify God in everything that we do so that we can be an offering to God with our mind, our heart, and our soul, and that we can love others well because we have loved ourselves. Self-care has been a really hot topic in recent years. Uh, you've probably seen things about it, but I think that what we see about self-care in magazines and television and ads, I think they get it a little bit wrong because they make it look like a massage or a spa treatment or a vacation or some luxurious expense, you know, treat yourself some escape from the stress of everyday life when in reality, self-care is about creating a life from which we need no escape. The actual definition of self-care is any activity that we do deliberately in order to take care of our mental, emotional, and physical health. It's the key to an improved mood and reduced anxiety and it's the key to a good relationship with ourselves and with other people. It's a huge umbrella, self-care. Um, I saw this one explanation of it that there's like there were nine pillars of self-care under this big umbrella. It's things like making sure we get the right amount of sleep, making sure that we attend to our medical needs, that we get checkups regularly or when we're supposed to, that we don't let that thing that's bothering us just keep bothering us. We go get it checked out. Um, it's stuff like a healthy diet and making sure we get exercise, that we get outside a little bit every day. It's also knowing when to say no and setting healthy boundaries for ourselves, having a good work-life balance, it's creating and keeping good relationships that nurture us and possibly repairing or removing bad ones. So that's a lot. I look at that huge list and I'm like, that's a lot of ways that I could fail myself. <laughs> so where do we start? Right? Well, it's January and everybody sets resolutions in January, right? So we could start. Um, by maybe picking one of the things under the self-care umbrella and choosing to intentionally be better about that aspect of our self-care. Um, but it's important that we approach it in a healthy and sustainable way. I used to be really bad at New Year's resolutions. I mean, I'm not great at them now, but I used to be worse. <laughs> I remember when I was a little girl, 
I set a resolution for myself to write in a diary every day. I had this little purple and white striped journal with a plastic cover and a little lock so my brothers couldn't read it. (laughs) Girl culture told me that I was supposed to write in a diary. Punky Brewster wrote in a diary. (laughs) And Blossom and her BFF6 and their floppy hats, they wrote in their diaries. I read Little Women and I was obsessed with Joe March and the way she kept her journal and how that shaped her life. So I thought I was supposed to do this thing to be the right kind of girl, to be normal, to be cool. So I wrote my name and my best cursive inside the journal and I kept up with it for a little while, but not too long before it was abandoned. And I didn't think about it too much until the next time I was cleaning out from under my bed and I found this discarded journal. The first few pages filled with pre-adolescent angst, like I was in my very own episode of Clarissa Explains It All. (laughs) And then blank page after blank page. And to me, that mostly empty journal represented failure. I had failed at this thing that I thought I was supposed to do. And a lot of people would have just, ah, cool, I found my journal and picked up where they left off. But to me, that was admitting the failure. Better to just kind of push it aside and pretend I never even started it in the first place. And so year after year, as I would choose these resolutions, um, the same kind of thing would happen and I would fail. And I got to the point where I was like, well, you know what? I'm just not going to make any resolutions because no resolution, no failure. Seemed very logical, right? But as I got older, that approach doesn't work because if we just don't try things, then we're going to miss out on a lot of really good experiences. It's going to hold us back. And after some self-examination and prayer and a few dozen self-help books and a little bit of therapy, I learned that that logic of if you don't try, you can't fail was my own special brand of perfectionism. Perfectionism is when someone sets such a high standard for themselves, they have no possibility of meeting it. And there are, there's several different kinds of perfectionists. I'm going to talk about two. One type of perfectionist is the person who sets those high standards and tries as hard as they can to meet them, which means that they might have a really clean house and a great appearance and they get all A pluses and they're doing great at work and to everybody else they are exceeding all expectations. But in their head, they're still not good enough. And that can lead to negative self-talk and low self-esteem, depression or anxiety. Those of you who know me, maybe have been to my house, have peeked into the closets down in the children's ministry area, know that that is not my brand of perfectionism. (laughs) I am a messy perfectionist. I am a procrastinating perfectionist. My perfectionism manifests in this idea of fear of failure. If I don't start, I won't fail. So it may be a room in my house that needs to be reorganized and repaired, but if I can't make it look like a magazine, I'm not even going to try. So nothing 
gets done. That type of perfectionism was not only identified in um, all that self-help, but also got some tips for how to address it. And one of the things that has stuck with me for how to address this issue is the concept of progress, not perfection. I was reminded of this idea of progress, not perfection, and of all places, the movie theater over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Last week, I shared in the children's moment about a song from Frozen. Uh, This week, I'm gonna, was reminded of a song from Frozen 2. Have you guys seen Frozen 2? No? Okay. Well, no spoilers. Don't worry. I'm not gonna let anything out. Um, But there's a spot in the movie that gets very sad and dark. Um, Anna is crying in a cave. I'm not going to tell you why, but she's crying in a cave. And it gets really heavy. She's singing about grief and sadness. And I start to cry, and I'm thinking, this is really heavy for a kid's movie. And I look down at my girls who are with me and my niece and my nephew, and like I'm wondering how they're handling it because it seems really dark, and they, they're fine. It was just me. But... <laughs> In this dark space, the tone changes and the music starts to build. As Anna realizes that she can carry on, she just has to do the next right thing. And that's the name of the song, The Next Right Thing. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, you can listen to it. It's a really beautiful song about grief and loss. She sings, take a step, step again. It is all that I can do, the next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make, the next right thing. This concept of progress over perfection when we're stuck somewhere paralyzed by maybe fear or anxiety or grief or being overwhelmed or the fear of failure, knowing that we can just start with one thing. Whatever our goal might be, you know, if we, if we choose something to work on for our self-care, it might be weight loss, exercise, giving up smoking or another harmful substance. Uh, it might be getting out of a bad relationship or healing from some past trauma. It could be managing a chronic illness or beginning the road after a difficult diagnosis. Whatever it is, if we look at only the end, if we only see the after picture, or if we're just focused on how the road is so long, we can't even imagine what success looks like. I think we're just sort of setting ourselves up to fail. But if instead of focusing on the results we want, and instead focusing on the journey that will get us there, we might have a better chance for success. Experts say that this concept of progress over perfection works in four ways. Uh, First, It works because it helps us keep our motivation. 
because we're able to see in each little step that we take our ability to change. Instead of only focusing on what we want at the long end of it, we can see these little steps that we took. And even when we take a step back or we stumble a little bit, we can say, oh, but look, I already did these four things, so I can, I can keep going. Number two is that it focuses on the learning instead of on the results. The word failure becomes obsolete when it's all about the learning. Because if we have a setback or a stumble, we didn't fail, we just learned what doesn't work. You guys know the thing about Thomas Edison, right, with the 2,000 tries to make a light bulb? And somebody said something to him about how many times he failed, and he said, no, I didn't fail. I just learned 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. So when we make it all about the learning, we're so much better able to continue down the journey. Finally, oh, no, sorry, third. (laughs) It gives us more reasons to celebrate. Because we have small milestones, and we can end each day by saying, what worked today? And find one thing. And if it was a terrible day and nothing worked, then maybe we look at yesterday, or we look forward to tomorrow. But we're able to, with each little step, celebrate a win, instead of waiting for what we think the ultimate celebration is down at the end. And it makes it more fun, and we're encouraged to keep going. Finally, it's more sustainable than perfection. Because even if we have a great plan, life doesn't always go along with our plan. We're going to get some curveballs. And that flexibility may be the key that we need to succeed. If we're set on doing it perfectly, we lose that flexibility. When we break our self-care goals down to the next breath, the next step, the next right thing, we have a better chance of success. We can't change everything all at once, but we can do one thing. We can make one phone call for the appointment that we've been putting off, right? We can change our diet one meal at a time, and then the next and the next. They're they're individual choices. We can call the friend that we've been putting off calling, We can choose to take our meds every morning. There's so many little things that are tied up in the big things that if we step back and start to break it down a little bit, we could do one thing at a time. And if this isn't you, if you're not in this season where you're struggling with something, God bless you. But I want you to think about a time that you were a time of grief, a time when you were recovering from an illness or a surgery, a time when it was all you could do to just keep going. And think about what worked for you. And then encourage those around you. Maybe it's a phone call. Uh, Maybe they need a ride to the doctor's office. Whatever it is, you could help your community. And we can all take this journey together of step after step. As we put this pressure on ourselves, I think that Matthew chapter 11 has good wisdom for us. Come to me, 
all you that are weary and take and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because in that, Christ is inviting us to his presence, not his pressure. We need to find the grace that we have in Christ and offer it to ourselves and to one another. As we go out into the world this week, remember that you must care for yourself in order to offer yourself to God and to love others well. Know that you can do the next right thing and that Christ will be with you with every step. Amen.